Let us take a moment to pray before we think about God's word. Holy Spirit, come among us, we pray, and soften our hearts to the word of God. Holy Spirit, come among us and help us see the life offered to us in Jesus. Holy Spirit, come among us with power and deep conviction, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I've got a question for you to think about, and at first hearing, it might sound a little shocking, maybe even heretical. Here's the question. If you were to make your own religion, what would it look like? If you were to make your own religion, what would it look like? And I'm not asking that simply because I'm at home and safe from you all. I do have a reason, and it is tied to our passage. What is more, the question gets at something in human nature in general. Because we are wired for worship. Whether we end up worshipping sport, or money, or sex, or power, or family, we worship something. And as John Calvin, the great reformer and theologian, said, our heart, the human heart, is a factory of idols. We end up worshipping something. More often than not, sadly, it's not God. What are we worshipping? If you make your own religion, what would it look like? I suspect if we were to actually make our own religion, it would be very like the world religions today. There would be something in it that would give us a benefit, because all religions do. There would be something in it whereby we do something, that something that looks spiritual, religious, that have things to do and, and things to, to have as part of that religion. There would, of course, have to be, I suspect, as all the religions do, a way of improving yourself, because none of us are perfect. We've always got room to improve. And because we're not perfect and we do wrong things, there needs to be a way of balancing the scales. All of these would likely feature in whatever we made up as a religion. But in our passage today, Paul wants to keep the Colossians' faith in Jesus, exclusively in Jesus, I might add. And to achieve that, he speaks of things that they are to reject. He says in verses 16, 18 and 20, Therefore do not let anyone judge you. Do not let anyone disqualify you. Why do you submit? In these three portions, He's basically getting at the same idea. Reject false worship. And he's going to give us two broad avenues of worship that we are to reject. So that we keep our faith exclusively in Jesus. The first chunk, the first paragraph, is really to do with shadow worship. He says in verses 16 to 17. Therefore... Do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. These are a shadow of things to come. We are to reject shadow worship. 
And Paul lists at the start there a, a whole range of Old Testament practices and he says they're all a shadow. They were all something pointing back to the real thing. They were pointing to something else. They're a shadow. And so for example, the eating and drinking laws, they were to identify who was part of the people of God, to say who was in and who was out. And that was a shadow pointing to the reality. Or the religious festivals, which were annual events, often tied into forgiveness, spiritual forgiveness. Again, pointing to another reality. The monthly new moon celebrations, often tied to a theme of spiritual renewal. And then the weekly Sabbath day, which symbolised freedom and security and rest in God. Again, pointing to something else. All of these were a shadow, says Paul. They are fleeting. They are temporary. They're not the real thing. So reject now such worship. He goes on to say this in verse 18. Do not let anyone who delights in false worship and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. So let me unpack a few words and phrases here. False humility probably has connotations of fasting. And so it may be fasting to bring on a spiritual experience or fasting to appear very spiritual and mature. Worship of angels can mean a couple of different things. We're not entirely sure. It could mean the actual worship of angels rather than God. Or it could, have, could mean having a spiritual experience where you're caught up amongst the worship the angels are giving to God and you're kind of joining in that experience. But really, whatever it means, ultimately, Paul says in the next sentence, they are idle notions. They lead nowhere. They are not worth anything. And he says also that this kind of worship, this false kind of worship, just puffs people up. It makes them prideful. It makes them full of, of hot air. And so again, don't let them disqualify you. Reject such claims and such teaching because that form of worship is empty. It's again a form of shadow worship. So reject it. Let's go back to that intro question. Thinking about if you were to make your own religion, what would it look like? Well, I suspect if we did try and create our own religion, we would naturally seek a kind of positive side. A positive side to our religion that brings us benefits and asks us to do things which just appear spiritual, appear good on the surface, appear beneficial. And Paul's principle in this portion of our passage is that the Colossians are to reject shadow worship so as to keep their worship on Jesus alone. They are to reject shadow worship, things that look beneficial, and worship Jesus alone. So what about us? Do we engage in shadow worship? Do the people in our community engage in shadow worship? You know, um, a 
across the three years I've been here, I've seen different forms of, of shadow worship, or heard of, of things at least. I know of one um, place where people were organising a fun night by inviting a spiritualist to host an event. And indeed, there are uh, around and about, maybe more so in West Lothian, but um, probably here as well, there are spiritualist churches. Um, and sadly, that's quite a misleading title. Because a spiritualist or a spiritualist church or meeting is about connecting with uh, spirits of people who have died, either friends or family. And I want to briefly mention this, just in case you or someone you know is ever thinking of engaging in such things. And I want to point out why doing so is not healthy, is a shadow form of worship. Because the Bible teaches that when someone dies, whether they know God or not, their spirit automatically goes on to whatever lies ahead, to either be with God or to face judgment. There is no mix up, there's no accidental staying behind or anything like that. It's one or other. And that means that whatever is happening in a spiritualist meeting or event and whatever's been facilitated by a spiritualist, should it be real at all, it can't be a human spirit. It's not going to be anything of God's kingdom because God doesn't deceive, he doesn't lie and try and trick us. And the only other spiritual force or place that that could come about then is the dominion of darkness, which Paul talked about earlier in Colossians. Basically, the demonic. So I caution against such things. I would caution anyone in our community against such things. And in fact, actually, when I heard about that event, because it was somewhere um, important to me and I didn't want them to have that event, I did go and speak to the management and say, I really don't think this should be happening. And here's why. We do, as human beings, gauge in shadow worship. There are also um, people in, in groups where, which engage in other kinds of shadow worship. You might know or have been involved in a, a rite or ceremony which claimed religious connotations and maybe include symbolism. Maybe the symbolism of, of being blindfolded. Maybe the symbolism of having something tied around your neck. And it might just have been described as a metaphor or that it didn't carry any great meaning or effect, but actually it does. It is a portrayal, a symbolism of spiritual dynamics, the, the blindfold inviting spiritual blindness, the, the thing tied around your neck talking about silence. These are not healthy practices and if you've engaged in them or engaged with a spiritualist or a Ouija board or whatever it might be, you've potentially opened yourself up to um, forces beyond Jesus because nothing in our faith encourages us to engage in such practices. And if that unsettles you, then please just come and have a talk with me and we can find freedom and life in Jesus. So those are maybe more out there kind of things. And it might seem like a bit of a side issue for many of us, but if I don't talk about it, who is going to talk about it? So this is my one time, just because it comes up in Colossians, I thought, right, I'm going to mention this. So let's think about more everyday things. 
Let's think about things within the church, for example. So, in the first part of this passage, Paul talks about people who are claiming to have spiritual experiences, a real spiritual high. And if you're not having that, seeing that, experiencing that, then then maybe your faith in Jesus is insufficient or not real. And it makes me wonder, are we seeking a spiritual high rather than seeking Jesus? Are we, is our faith simply about making us feel good or is it about following Jesus? Because you know, following Jesus is really hard. There are times when sacrifices are made. There are times when feeling close to Jesus just isn't there. You feel distant from him. And that doesn't mean he's not real. Doesn't mean that your faith's not genuine. And if we are seeking a spiritual high, a spiritual experience, if our faith is only about making us feel good, then then we're worshipping that rather than worshipping Jesus. Or in the church, we have other dangers as well because we can end up worshipping so much else than Jesus, although we think we're worshipping Jesus. So for example, we might say, I wish there was more band music or I wish there was more organ music, or I wish there was more silence, or I wish there was more noise and informality. You know, do we worship the style of worship more than we actually worship Jesus? Or we're talking about buildings as well in the church circles just now. And will we keep our building? Will other buildings close? And if our building was to close, Would you stop coming to worship? Would you refuse to go elsewhere? Could that suggest you worship the building more than you worship Jesus? There's so many different ways that this can happen, that we end up engaging in shadow worship rather than the worship of Jesus. And Paul's call to us in this first part of the passage is to reject shadow worship because it is fleeting and empty. So let's go back to that intro question. If you were to make your own religion, what would it look like? And in what we've just covered, we've we've looked at the positive side, the benefits, the things you might do in a positive manner um, as part of that religion. But you know, every religion deals with the negative side of humanity somehow. We need something in our religion that deals with our brokenness and tries to balance the scales of that so that there's justice in the world. And I think that Paul is aware that the false teachers are going to, or are are already trying to, push a false worship that seeks to deal with that negative side of our humanity, but in unhealthy ways. So, he says, for example, Why do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Now, let's be clear. Paul's not against morality. 
as we'll see in the next couple of chapters. But he is careful to differentiate between, as he says, rules that are merely human commands and teachings with what is from God and what is actually effective. Because let's see what he says in the next verse. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Now let's be clear, by sensual indulgence, Paul is not just meaning sex or sexual temptation, although that is included. If you look in the letter to the Galatians chapter 5, you'll see Paul listing various ways that the flesh portrays itself. Yes, there's the sexual stuff, but there's also envy and greed and bitterness and anger and rage and such like. All of that is part of how our flesh, our sinful nature, shows itself and displays itself. And we war against that. And the tendency of humanity is just to create more and more religions that, that try and deal with that through tick boxes, through a list of rules, rather than trying to get to the heart of the issue, which is our sinful heart. We would rather deal with anything. We would rather have a list of rules as long as your arm rather than face up to our willful rebellion in our hearts against God. We'd rather do anything else, speak about anything else than face up to that reality and have God deal with that reality in the depths of our being. I wonder if in past generations you've seen some of that as well. I'm conscious that I think there was a period of time, maybe it was more in the States, but possibly here uh, in the UK as well, where Christians were not expected to do certain things. They're, they might have not drunk uh, alcohol and they um, might not have went to dances. They might not have went to the cinema. Now, those rules may have come in for good reasons, at least on the surface, but actually... Did it deal with the real issues, the issues of our heart? Did they actually foster anything of the fruit of the Spirit, of love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, or indeed self-control? Probably not. And so we have to wonder if such rules were simply hollow. They lacked any value because they didn't change us from the inside out. They gave the appearance of being holy, but didn't actually nurture holiness. It maybe relied much more on our strength of will than on the power of God's Spirit to change us. After all, Paul says in Romans 8, If by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. You have a role to play putting to death the misdeeds of the body, but it can only happen by the Spirit, by the Spirit, that we put to death over the course of our life, we put to death the misdeeds of our body so that we grow in greater likeness to Jesus, displaying the fruit of the Spirit in increasing measure. That is part of the hope of the Christian journey. But it's a process and it can't be in our own strength. And so Paul is saying 
that we are to reject futile rulemaking because it's passing, it's hollow. It's simply trusting in the wrong things. So what about us? What about you? Where are you tempted to trust the wrong things rather than trust in Jesus and in the power of his spirit? For example, maybe you have a sense that you need to appease God, that you're not perfect and you do wrong things. All of us probably have that feeling at times. But are you trying to appease God in your own way? With your own resources, your own achievements, your own sacrifices? Do you ever think along these lines that surely God accepts you? Surely God will welcome you into heaven, into the kingdom of heaven, into his family because of your moral life? because you've given up so much or done so much or went to such great lengths, is that what you base your confidence, your faith upon? Do you think that your religion and your activity in the name of religion will be enough? Because after all, Paul says this in Galatians, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. If we try and rely on our own merits, try and obey the rules, try and tick the boxes, if we stumble at one fault, that is the whole lot cast down. That is the whole lot stained. Because as that verse says, to live by the law, you have to do everything. And if you don't, you're under a curse. So the law doesn't actually justify you because you can't be justified, can't be made right with God through what you do. You cannot live a good enough life to earn salvation. It's all futile rulemaking. And Paul calls us to reject it because it is passing and hollow. So Paul has given us two avenues of worship to reject. We have to reject false worship and we have to reject futile rulemaking. But you know, along the way, as Paul does, he weaves in some positive encouragement, positive reminders, positive truth. Because after all, he wants the Colossians to keep their faith exclusively in Jesus. And so he just can't help himself but point to Jesus. Because in Jesus is the life we seek. He says in verse 17, these are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Jesus. The reality is found in Jesus. All that was portrayed through the Old Testament, the, the forgiveness, the spiritual renewal, the freedom, the security, the welcome unto God's family, the rest that you yearn for, all of that is now found in Jesus. 
So come to him. And you know, finding something when you're looking around the house and you find it, you take hold of it and you keep a hold of it. It's that idea here as well. Lay hold of Jesus and keep a hold of Jesus because the life you seek is in him. Paul goes on. He also said, they have lost, the false teachers have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. The head from whom the whole body grows. The image of a head and body, we know from chapter 1 verse 18, is speaking of Jesus as the head and the church as the body, the members, the individual Christians. And so Paul is saying that the life you seek is in Jesus, but you need to stay connected to him. Don't be distracted. Don't be taken away elsewhere. Stay connected to Jesus. And we understand that picture language, don't we? Because our head and our body are so intricately tied and connected. Through our head is how we access food and, and, and drink. Through our head is how we take in air that our body needs. Our head is where thinking and senses are processed. Through our head is where the life comes from the body. And when the head becomes disconnected from the body, well, the body's dead. The same is true of the Christian life. Any spiritual life. If you want life, it's through Jesus. And you need to stay connected to him. But Paul has one final little bit that throws us a bit of a curveball, maybe. He says in verse 20, Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? It seems a little bit oxymoronic, because how can life come from death? It seems a bit odd, but actually... Paul is simply echoing the teaching of Jesus here. Because Jesus said in several of the Gospels, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the Gospel will save it. The language of take up your cross and of losing your life is the language of dying, that your will dies and submits to the will of Jesus and follows in his way. It is a language to, to help us understand what in part it means to be a Christian, to follow Jesus, that the things that we maybe want are to, to die, how we understand the world wrongly is to die. The, the priorities that we think are so important sometimes need to die so that we find life through him. The life we seek is in Jesus and in sharing in his death and taking up in cr our cross and losing our life for his sake we come into that life we yearn for. And that maybe means we need to allow things to die. We need to allow our man-made forms of worship to die. We need to allow our shadow worship. We need to allow our futile rulemaking to die. 
because we are now in Christ. We are now a new creation. We've come out from under those false old ways, that shadow worship, that futile rulemaking. We don't need to submit to it any longer. We don't need to submit to that old way of life anymore because we have died to it. And we are now have life through Jesus. Friends, the spiritual life we seek, the life of, of meaning, community, freedom, the life of, of forgiveness, renewal, hope, joy, peace, security, that spiritual life we yearn for is to be found in Jesus. We don't need to make up our own religion. We don't need to answer the question I asked at the start. We don't need to go to a spiritualist. We don't need to belong to an exclusive group. We don't need to seek spiritual highs or tick religious boxes or appease God with our own efforts. The life we seek is found in Jesus. So reject shadow worship. Reject futile rulemaking and simply come to Jesus. Trust in him. Worship him. Hold fast to him. Stay connected to him. Because the life you seek is found in Jesus. May we each find that life today and all the days of our life. May it be so. Amen. We close our service as we sing together a final hymn, All I Once Held Dear. <laughs>